you'll open up your Bibles with me this morning, we're going to finish chapter 18, beginning with verse 22. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the back of your order of worship. Just to remind you where we're at in uh, God's Word this morning. After being told in our previous passage about the outcry of Sodom's sin against God, uh, the men who Abraham were entertaining have now turned from this meal that he's had with them to go down towards Sodom. And, and, and the Lord and Abraham interact here. As they've gone on their way, the Lord's about to go up to his place and uh, he's testing Abraham. He's testing Abraham to see what Abraham will do with the news that he's just been given about what's going to happen down in Sodom and Gomorrah and these cities where the wickedness rises up like an outcry to God's eyes and to his ears. God is going to do something. And here, Abraham interacts with him, interceding in prayer to the just God who will always do what is right. Let me pray before we read his word. Our gracious God, we thank You for Your Word. It has no error in it. Lord, it teaches us of Your power, of Your might, of Your wisdom, of Your justice, of Your righteousness. And so this morning, I pray that that would be magnified in the reading of Your Word, that we would see Christ magnified in our presence. He would be lifted up, that we might turn our eyes towards Him, the Righteous One. I pray, Jesus, that You would... Uh, be glorified this morning, that the gospel would be pronounced and that your people would have faith and that you would open the eyes and the ears of those who have yet to believe, that you would do a mighty work in our presence by the Spirit that you've poured out uh, upon your church. And so, Spirit of God, lead us to truth and make these words in this hour effective for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Let me read you God's Word, starting with verse 22. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I whom but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, O Lord, oh, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. 
He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. This is God's word for his people. Amen? This morning we see Abraham asking the question, Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? God will never violate his character. And Abraham isn't accusing God or questioning Him. You know, the psalm we just read earlier, it sounds like the psalmist is accusing God if He wouldn't do the right thing. That's not what's going on, neither with the psalmist nor here. Instead, Abraham is recounting back to God what he knows about Him in prayer. So this morning, we'll ask three questions when we look at our passage. Who is righteous? Two, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And three, who intercedes for us? So first, who is righteous? Abraham draws near to God in prayer and asks this question in verse 23. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And Abraham understands that there's a distinction in the eyes of God between those who are wicked and those who are righteous. And before we go any further, because Abraham uh, is pleading for the righteous, I want to answer the question, who is righteous? What does that even mean? Who's he pleading for? Abraham's back and forth with God in appeal and intercession has him pleading for the righteous and for the preservation of the city for their sake. He starts with 50 in his first plea, and he goes all the way down to 10 by the end of the exchange. What's going to happen, what he's been shown, what's going to happen in Sodom for us is much like the, the same thing that we think of when we think of the flood and we think of the story of Noah. Sodom is an example. It's used 48 times in Scripture as a teaching unto us, as an example, as a, as a, as a show of the power and the might of God and what it means to fall under the judgment of God. So that you've heard the story of Sodom since you were little. That it might make an imprint on you. That it exemplifies exactly what is the ultimate end for all the unrighteous in God's final judgment. So that Jesus even picks up the teaching on Sodom in Luke 17 and says, like it was in Sodom at its destruction, its total destruction of all the wicked, so it will be when the Son of Man is Revealed. So the greatest thing that we can wrestle with this morning is what does Abraham mean by righteous? And what makes someone righteous? And to answer that, the Bible is very clear. Thanks be to God, right? If this is what happens to the unrighteous, 
Lord, help me understand what it means to be righteous. We're told in no uncertain terms the true condition men find themselves in because of their sin. That death was promised to Adam, if you remember. If he disobeyed. And we don't see him dying physically right away, do we? But what happened in that moment was spiritual death. And it wasn't just Adam that died. He became unrighteous. And so did we. We died the moment the one who represented us died spiritually. So then, sin is our problem. And unrighteousness is our problem. And our condition apart from Christ is hopeless. And is described as unrighteous. So that the psalmist in fourteen, Psalm 14 says, The Lord looks down upon the earth from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any to be found who understand, who seek after God. And it says, they all have turned aside, become corrupt, and there is none who does good. And then it goes on, not even one. Paul Begins Romans 1 through 3, laying out an indictment on mankind. He builds the case over uh, the three chapters until he arrives at 319, where he describes, or 3, verse 9 and on, he describes all mankind understand that all have turned aside, that no one does good. Now, listen to what he says. He describes the whole body. He says, their throats are open graves, their tongues are deceitful, their mouth is full of curses, their feet swift to shed blood. There's no fear in their eyes toward God. He's describing all of man. He's saying every part of our being is unrighteous and totally depraved. And here we have Sodom ringing in the background. That's the problem. All, he says, all, every single person have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So who is righteous? This is how the Bible describes all mankind. What does Abraham have in mind when he asks God to preserve Sodom from God's awful judgment for the sake of the righteous? If everyone deserves God's righteous, perfectly just judgment for our sin, where does our hope lie? But Abraham's prayer is a hopeful prayer. The answer is told to us earlier in Genesis. I can't help but think that Abraham is aware of his own salvation as he prays this prayer. He is a man who has received mercy and now he, he has his eye, having known how, how God's mercy fell upon him, his eye turns and he prays for both the believer and the unbeliever. Genesis 15 says this, the Lord speaking to Abraham and says, Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abraham believed the Lord and it counted to him as righteousness. There it can be found. What is righteousness? God says, I'll be your shield against wrath. And Abraham's faith in God's promises was counted to him as righteousness. You see, righteousness is indeed 
foreign to us. And it must be received by faith. Paul picks up on this language when he says in Romans 3, after laying out all the indictment on mankind and, and our sin, he says the righteousness of God through faith, that is that it's, it's received through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. God is going to sweep away the unrighteous. This isn't what is in question in Abraham's request to God. Rather, he is interceding on behalf of the wicked, those wicked people who have no thought to their demise, and he prays for the sake of the righteous, they would be saved. We're going to dive more into that in a moment, but first we grapple with that first question, with our own righteousness. It can't be found in your works. It can't be found in, in an argument that you might make with God. Let me just, God, tell you all the wonderful things that I've done about my wonderful personality, about what other people think about me. That's not how it works. Your salvation is not based on anything that you have done. And Abraham knows this in verse 27 when he says, Who am I? Who am I to even be speaking to the Lord right now? I'm just dust and ashes. He has humbled himself before the Lord, recognizing his own sin. There is no sense of grandeur in his behavior, no chest thumping and saying, I am much better than what's down in Sodom. Christ is our righteousness. All that was his becomes ours, and all that is ours becomes his. Kids, you, you think about how it works in the home uh, with your mom and dad. At one point, it was everything that um, was the father's becomes the mother's and vice versa. That's how it works. But you kids came in and now everything that was ours becomes yours. The way it works with Christ Jesus, children, is all the things, the wicked things that you have done have been lifted and, and placed upon Him. And all the wonderful works that God has done in obedience to Jesus, they become ours. This is a great transaction. You understand what that means? And this is a great thing that Christ has given to us. And so when we talk about this, I want you to understand what uh, is being pictured in Christ Jesus. Believe in Christ. And you are declared righteous. So understanding who is righteous it's those who have faith, as Abraham trusted in the promises of God. As the story goes on, it's us who have faith in Christ Jesus. His faith is not different than ours. Understanding who is righteous, we turn to our second point with this question, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Abraham knows something of his God. He knows His mercy to pluck him up out of idolatry and err. He, he has known the patience and love of God towards him. And Scripture tells us that Abraham even has become the friend of God. He has known His presence. He has known His voice. He just had a meal with Him. He has dined with God. He has seen His unchangeable character. And it is because of this that He makes so bold an appeal to God. His utmost concern is with God's reputation among the nations. What would the world think 
if you wiped away the righteous with the wicked. Verse 25, he says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked. Far be it from you, he says. He isn't teaching God. He isn't saying God is at risk of making an error. He's simply claiming the promises out loud. God would never cast the righteous away. We have more of the Bible than He does. <laughs> we have God telling us, His people, nothing will ever snatch you out of My hands. What is remarkable are the numbers that Abraham begins to negotiate. He, he starts at 50 and he has to dwindle it down to 10 by the end. The condition of Sodom is far worse than Abraham ever could have imagined. And soon in the next chapter, uh, he, he sees this, he wakes up, it says he goes back to the place where he was standing and what does he see? He sees that not even 10 could be found. That the, the smoke rises up and he sees the destruction of these cities of God's awful wrath falling. He looked down and he saw it burned like a furnace. He has witnessed, he has looked and seen hell on earth. God would stay His hand if ten could be found, but in so great a city as Sodom and Gomorrah, not even ten could be found. Let that cause you right now to cry out to God, to intercede, to pray, to lift up your prayers to heaven. We often hear someone describe other people as a good person. You know, they're kind. They would never hurt a fly. But let the causes, this story cause your, your, your zeal for evangelism, for the glory of Christ, for the Gospel to rise up in your heart that in this one city, ten righteous people could not be found. The condition of the world seems to be in, in, in utter decay. And, and even here in America, it feels like we're, the, we're in the beginning of, of Romans 1, Paul's first indictment. That God's beginning to lift this hand that has been restraining evil and turning this nation over to sin all the more to invite the kind of wrath that fell on Sodom to fall on us. So that what would we do here? What can we do? It feels hopeless. Who could we elect to fix it? What could I do as one person? Oh, but the power of God is unleashed in the people who pray. A believer must feel the import of this. And as we look out, it isn't us versus them situation. Knowing God should not make us arrogant or callous because Abraham knew God's mercy. He's not a calloused man. He doesn't want to see them fall under the wrath of God. He doesn't just pray for the righteous. He prays for the righteous and the unrighteous. We should drop to our knees and plead for the lives of our neighbors and our friends and our family because I think we think in our mind it's really not that bad out there. 
what he revealed to Abraham, it's much worse than you could have imagined. Sin has a, a hold on mankind. Abraham would not dare to live in Sodom because of its weakness, wickedness, but he would dare to intercede on their behalf for the mercy of God to fall upon them. It would seem at first that Abraham only prays for the righteous to be spared, but in the sparing of the righteous, he asks for the whole city. He desires the wicked to be saved by the righteous. Let your prayer life be informed by his bold pleas. Lord, preserve the righteous and save the wicked. The biggest import of Abraham's question for us this morning, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? It is that God shows us His Son here. God will save the wicked. By who? The righteous one. For the sake of the righteous one. Rather than we reap the reward for our wickedness like Sodom, God has done a remarkable act of salvation by His righteous Son. Christ would become Sodom by His own righteousness. He has had, Second uh, uh, Corinthians says, uh, Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, the righteous one, be reconciled to God. And he says this, for our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. What a transaction. Oh, how I implore you believers. Pray for the unsaved that God might spare them in the day of His wrath. No one is righteous. No, not one. Believe in Christ then and receive the righteousness of Christ. Appeal to God for the sake of believers and non-believers for the coming day of His judgment. And now lastly, we see our final point, who intercedes for us. Christ can be found in so many ways in this passage. All of this passage carries the weight of a courtroom scene of, of Abraham's back and forth with God pleading the case of the righteous and the unrighteous before God. It serves really for us as a marker, as a sign pointing us to the work of Christ who will ultimately fulfill uh, all of this as our interceder. I really want to direct you to two beautiful prayers in the New Testament. Pictures of Jesus praying as an interceder in the Gospels. In John 17, if you remember, Jesus is in the garden. He's, he's down on His knees. His night of betrayal is quickly arriving. And He is praying what's called the high priestly prayer. And He says this. He says, this is eternal life in His prayer. That they know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And He prays for the people that God has given Him out of the world. So he's, he's praying for the righteous. Those that are His people. He prays that they would continue in the truth that they have been given. And He prays that they would not be taken out of the world, but that they would be kept, preserved from the evil one. And He's praying for His apostles there. And then He goes on to pray for those who would believe what the apostles teach. He prays for our belief that the world that is seeing it may know, he says, 
that God sent Jesus and that our salvation came through Him. And He prays that we will be preserved and be where He is and sees us and, and we will see His glory. So this morning, Christ intercedes. He prays for you, His saints, the one He calls righteous. And it's almost too much to wrap your mind around. Not only was Christ praying so long ago for those who were yet to believe, the Scriptures tell us even now He is lifting you up in prayer that you are always on the mind of the Son, that He is always interceding, always thinking about His righteous elect, that you are always before Him, and He always places you before the Father. So that John, 1 John 2 tells us that we always have this Advocate this one who stands before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So who intercedes for us? It is the very Son of God who came and suffered and died. It is Christ Jesus who prays for the righteous and for their sake. But after this prayer in the garden, another prayer follows. In Luke 23, it's the darkest hour of Christ's life. It has finally approached. He has been beaten and spit upon and mocked by the crowds. He's been turned over and dragged off as if he's some kind of common criminal. And now he's been hung upon the cross. And the, the rulers, the teachers of Israel are walking by and says they're scoffing and mocking him and says he saved others. If he really is the Christ, let him save himself. And the centurions, the men who have nailed Him to the cross, stand beneath Him and mock Him and say, oh, look, it's the King of the Jews. Maybe He'll save Himself. And even the criminals mock Him on the other side of the cross. Or on each side. And it's in that moment that Jesus utters His first words from the cross. Do you remember what He says? Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prays for His enemies. He prays for the very ones who want nothing more than for Him to be dead. In the midst of such wickedness and suffering and impending forsakenness, even from His Father, the first words on the cross had come to his mind, or Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even as the full measure of God's wrath is ready to rain down like it did on Sodom, he prays for the sake of these unrighteous people. Spurgeon says this about this prayer, the Lamb of God was silent to men, but He was not silent to God. Dumb as sheep before His shearers, he had not a word to say in his own defense to man, but he continues in his heart crying unto his Father. And no pain and no weakness can silence his holy supplications and intercession. Always his heart is on the sinner. His life was spent in righteousness that the wicked may be spared for his sake. Always appealing to God that He would show them mercy, so let us continue in prayer so long as our hearts beat. Always, always appealing to the throne of grace. 
that he would have mercy. So what's our take-home application this morning? What should we remember? Let us first see the terror that is to fall, that it is to fall into the hands of an angry God, that sin demands justice, and that the judge of the earth, the answer to the question, shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? Yes, he will always be just. Sin is really as bad as this picture painted of Sodom. Let us never be callous to it. Let us never say, oh, it's just a a sin or speak of our sins if they are just a a minor thing that they don't rise to the kind of thing that God would certainly punish. Let us appeal to God that He would spare the righteous from uh, from the just punishment of sin. Let us not make camp in the midst of sin like Lot did. Fire will consume the wicked as it did in Sodom. It is a lesson for us that God is just in His actions and just in His mercy. Let our prayer also be an intercession for God to be gracious. Abraham appeals to God's gracious nature. Some indeed were saved from Sodom by the plea of Abraham. We'll pick that up next week. May we never revel in the plight of the wicked, but intercede in constant prayer on their behalf. And may we pray for the plight of the righteous for around the world. The righteous do indeed suffer in places where awful calamity is falling on the people of God, where churches burn and the wicked revile them. We may pray that God would preserve His saints. And finally, let us make it a part of our prayer life that God would save the lost. As we uh, pray even now for uh, this evangelism training that we're going through and hopes that when we start in January that God would pour His blessing out, not just upon the church, but really a blessing upon the city, upon Brentwood, or in all the places in which we invite people to come and hear the good news. You know, there is no power in the things that we'll say, the power rests in God alone. And we ask even now when we make pleas and we intercede that God would do a wonderful thing in this city. That yes, sin is really that bad, but God's mercy and power might be at work that many eyes would be open. Pray for it now. Intercede. Let it be your pleas as you understand who God is as Abraham does knowing His attributes, that He can utter back to God in prayer that God is indeed just. And let us look to Christ, the founder of our salvation and the root of our righteousness. Let's pray.